What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Self Help Witch. I'm Dana. I'm your host. I'm so happy you're here. It's been a minute. <laughs> it has been a minute since we've had an episode with just me. I have had a hell of a month, y'all. So a bit of a personal slash self-help witch update before we get into the episode. At the beginning of July, I had plans to create a Venus retrograde community for us. Big plans. (laughs) And then the universe was like, no. It started with my power being out for about four days at the beginning of the month. Obviously that took priority and I had to deal with that. And then about a week later, my grandma had a stroke. As of recording this, she is on hospice and likely going to pass any day. And that has been absolutely devastating for my family and I. My grandma is the quintessential matriarch. She raised me and my siblings when I was in high school and my parents were going through a really ugly divorce. She's just everything to me and my family. So it's been extremely tough. And obviously, I haven't had the capacity to create anything going through all of this. In this forced hiatus, though, I've realized that I need to and want to broaden my scope at Self-Help Witch. Meaning, I want to zoom out from talking so much about astrology. So let me say, I love astrology, and it's one of the most helpful modalities that I've found for me in my self-help work. At the same time, I find at this point in my creative journey that it's limiting me and I feel boxed in by it. Specifically, you guys might know if you've been listening a while that I'm a teacher in my day job. And I find when I talk about astrology, it's very difficult for me to not put my teacher hat on. And that's not who I wanna be at Self-Help Witch. I I don't want to be like the sage on the stage, as they say. I want this to be a fun, creative community for me and for you. And I find when I am in educator mode, that is more challenging for me to do. So I'm not saying I'll never talk about astrology again. In fact, this episode has little tidbits of astrology that are relevant to the conversation, but I just want to zoom out a bit more and I want to be less like Dana, the astrology teacher and more like Dana, the person who gets what you're going through because she's been through it and she's going to share what she's learned along her journey with you. Honestly, I'm very excited about it. I think that this is going to open us up to so many more cool ideas. And at the end of the day, self-help, which is really just about the spiritual piece of living your best life. So we're just gonna be exploring different avenues for spirituality and the spiritual side of life. So I just wanted to update you on that and kind of let you know what's been going on over here. Today we are trying something new. This is Book Bites and Insights. Basically, I'm going to share a concept from a book that I love, just a little snippet from it, and then dig deeper into that concept, reflecting it to 
whatever comes up, the astrology of the moment, something else I've learned about, current events, you know, we're just gonna see what happens. The point is to get you exposed to maybe books that you haven't heard of before, ideas that are new, and of course, as always, helpful insights to live a more fulfilling life. So welcome, if you're new here, I'm so happy that you're here. Don't forget if you haven't already to subscribe to the YouTube channel or the podcast, let's get into it. So today we are looking at chapter five from John Bradshaw's book, Homecoming, Reclaiming and Championing Your Inner Child. John Bradshaw was one of the pioneers in inner child work in you know, popularizing it and coming up with frameworks for how to approach it. Homecoming, the book we're talking about today, is, I think, the first self-help book I read. It's certainly the first self-help book about inner child work that I read. And let me tell you, it is a doozy. I can't think of a time that I've cried more in recent memory than reading and working through this book. And I'm not saying that to scare you, but just to convey that it's a super powerful work. What I love about this book is that Bradshaw, first of all, gets personal. He shares his own experiences that makes it really relevant and useful, at least for me. I think stories always help, especially when they're personal. But even more, he breaks down developmentally what we need at each stage of our development as children. And in doing so, explains how we become wounded in each stage, what we needed and didn't get, and so on and so forth. So it's very practical. And the last thing I'll say about this book is at the end of each stage of development, he doesn't just leave you high and dry with, oh, well, here's how you got fucked up as a kid. Bye. (laughs) He actually gives you tools and resources for healing as well. And one of the favorite parts of that for me are the meditations he provides. So they're written out at the end of each of these chapters. However, you can find them online as well. You could also record your own voice doing it. I haven't done that, but I want to do it. I think that would be so powerful if you could get over the sound of your own voice, right? (laughs) You know, that's a thing for some people, but that's healing in and of itself. So without any further ado, let's get into chapter five today. And the concept I really want us to uh, consider, which is the spectrum and finding the balance between holding on and letting go. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we are looking at chapter five from Homecoming, which is called Reclaiming Your Toddler Self. Bradshaw starts with these tables in each of the chapters where he just breaks down really succinctly what's going on developmentally. And in this case, we're talking about ages nine months to 18 months and then 18 months to three years. He separates these as first being the exploratory stage and then the separation stage. So essentially what we're doing during this developmental period is we are meeting the world. Like we're, we're figuring out what's going on. We're exploring and uh, discovering new things about ourselves and about the world. And then with that, we're also discovering our autonomy. So we're separating more from our parents and we're discovering our willpower. He also provides these developmental polarities 
in this chapter, the polarity is autonomy versus shame and doubt. So in learning about the world and discovering and meeting the world, we also learn about what we want and that we have the power to get what we want. Now, that's where our parents come in, our, our caregivers, and they are supposed to model for us healthy limits and boundaries. And we'll talk more about that later. But if we aren't modeled healthy limits and boundaries, what happens is we develop toxic shame and doubt. So shame can be really helpful and useful. It can remind us of our limits in a good way, right? Like boundaries are not always bad. And healthy shame is essentially just knowing our limits, knowing our boundaries. I can't cross this line. That wouldn't be good for me or for other people. When we're not modeled healthy boundaries as children, particularly in this toddler age, we develop an imbalance on the holding on and letting go spectrum. Let's take it super macro. When we're talking about holding on and letting go, we can look at this on a physiological scale. We can look at it on a mental scale. We can look at it on an emotional scale, on a relational scale. It really can work on all levels. One immediate physiological example is potty training during this stage of life. You learn when it's appropriate to hold on, <laughs> like we're in the car and you're not wearing a diaper anymore. You got to hold it. And when it's appropriate to let go, okay, now you're on the potty and you can go. When it comes to our mental and alternatively our emotional state, we can hold on and let go as well. We might let go of anger when someone apologizes to us, or we might hold on to anger when they don't. That would be an appropriate use of holding on and letting go. Those who do learn to hold on appropriately have a good foundation for fidelity and love. And those who learn to let go appropriately are willing to grieve life's transitions and know when to move on. So you can see how critical it is to have these skills. When you can hold on appropriately, you've got the fortitude you need to, and, and really the discipline and the restraint to do what needs to be done. You can follow through with what you say you're going to do. And you can navigate difficulties with a little more grace because you can get a grip, so to speak. On the other hand, when you can let go appropriately, you can move through life more easily as well because you're not going to be as phased by everything, the ups and downs of life, I should say. Unfortunately, many of us were not modeled these uh, healthy ways of holding on and letting go. And so we learned to be dysfunctional in this area. Letting go inappropriately would be to essentially have no control. You're just doing whatever you want. Holding on inappropriately, it's the opposite. You're over controlling. You might become obsessive or compulsive. Bradshaw says that when we have a lack of balance on the spectrum of holding on and letting go, we have boundary problems. He says, because your inner child never learned to balance holding on and letting go, you are stingy either with money, emotions, praise, or love, or you are wild and crazy and totally out of control. You give everything away, including yourself. I still feel that <laughs> when I read it, like, oof, wow. He says, your lack of balance leads you to either over control your children through rigid discipline or refuse to give them any real limits over submission. Or you may do one and then the other. There's no consistency or balance in your parenting. Without good counter-dependent skills, you have 
severe relationship problems. You're either enmeshed, entwined, entrapped, meaning you can't leave, or you're isolated and lonely in the relationship. In reflecting on this spectrum for myself, I found it to be true that I can find myself on both extremes. The areas of my life where I'm highly controlled or overly controlling or even manipulative are areas where I am obviously holding on. And for me, this is where people pleasing comes into play. You can manipulate other people by doing whatever they want or fawning. That is manipulation. It's a really sneaky way of controlling at the end of the day. If you're resonating with this, by the way, you probably don't consciously think of this behavior as an attempt to control the other person, but it's important to understand that that's really what it is. And I am the first person to do this, so I'm not shaming anyone or trying to sound condescending here. It's just that the longer we pretend that we're doing this because we're great people or we care a lot about the other person, the longer we're going to be trapped in behavior that's ultimately self-destructive. But on the other hand, I also find myself letting go in inappropriate ways because you can't clench all the time. Like no matter which side of the spectrum you find yourself more on, you're going to compensate either consciously or unconsciously. So you have to think if you're overly holding on, where's the release valve? Where are you letting go? And when you are letting go in an unconscious way, probably most of the time you're doing so in an unhealthy way. Now, sometimes like letting go could look like exercise. That would be a really healthy way to let something go physiologically. But if you exercise, you know, you can let go emotionally through movement as well. An unhealthy way of letting go would be, you know, numbing behaviors. Like for me, it was alcohol. It was drinking. And when I look back on that part of my life now with the knowledge I have, I can see the reason that I felt like I had to drink the way I was drinking. A lot of it had to do with the need to let go. It felt really good to let go with drinking. You know, one of the ways that I, I hold on really tightly is with my relationships and in social situations. I have hardcore social anxiety and I always have. Trying to control the situation through anticipating what other people might say or uh, want or need, that was a form of holding on. So drinking helped me let go. It helped me find a balance, but it ultimately obviously was destructive, right? Because I would let go so much that I would black out. <laughs> I mean, that's the ultimate letting go, right? The really fucked up thing is I thought that this was helping me. I thought I'm having fun. I'm able to be more myself. I'm more relaxed. I'm ready to party. <laughs> if you are a Bridesmaids fan, you know I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. But I thought that this was helping me and it doesn't. So it's important to understand that one, I think all of us are going to find ourselves on the extreme end of both sides of the spectrum at some point in our lives. And what we want to do is First of all, just accept that that's going to happen because we're never in perfect balance all the time. Life is not static, it's dynamic, and we have to accept that because trying to keep it in a perfect state of balance is in fact a form of holding on and control. So that's not what we want. Instead, we want to accept the dynamism of this spectrum and we want to consciously move back to center instead of letting ourselves get so far from center that our psyche interjects and we start to compensate in ways we're not aware of. So as I mentioned at the beginning, Bradshaw gives us tools. He gives us concepts, practices, etc., that help us navigate the concept in the chapter. And so in this chapter, Bradshaw talks about how to heal toxic shame. And the two keys to doing this, 
I honestly was really surprised by. They are discipline and boundaries. Some key concepts around this idea of holding on and letting go that are really important to talk about and understand are shame, discipline, and boundaries. So let's talk about shame. Bradshaw categorizes different kinds of shame. He says there's healthy shame and toxic shame. Healthy shame tells us what our limits are. It's good to know that hitting someone is not a good thing to do, right? It's, and I should feel ashamed if I hit someone because that's crossing a line. So shame is inherently linked to boundaries. When we cross a boundary, we feel ashamed. So when our boundaries are unclear, especially as toddlers, we can develop toxic shame. Toxic shame, Bradshaw says, is basically feeling bad about existing. Bradshaw says a toxically shamed person believes that nothing about himself is okay. So depending on the situation with our caregivers, toxic shame can show up in different ways. If we're looking at it from the perspective of we're holding on too tightly, that happens when we believe we are responsible for other people's feelings. So back to that idea of seeking separation at, in the stage of development when we're toddlers, we are also learning in that separation that we are separate from other people. And that realization, that learning gets interrupted when we are enmeshed, when we believe we are responsible for other people's feelings. For me, you know, growing up, it was dad's going to be mad. And so we've got to be really quiet so that dad doesn't get upset. And what that taught me was I have to keep to myself so that I don't upset other people. And I'm not trying to blame anybody. And I'm not suggesting you do either. This isn't about blaming. It's just about recognizing what went wrong so that we can undo it. So in this case, you know, when you learn that your behavior is responsible for other people's unhappiness, what you internalize is that there's something wrong with you. So you overly control yourself. And in doing that, you probably also become a people pleaser and overly control other people's perceptions of you. So it's a form of manipulation and it's an extreme form of holding on really tightly and clenching. This is rooted in toxic shame because again, what's underneath all of this and rooting it is your belief that you are inherently flawed and that is the reason for other people's bad feelings. Now, the other side of the spectrum, letting go, this happens when there are no boundaries and when the separation from caregivers and children is so great that the child can just run wild. So in this case, the child never learns boundaries and you probably know if you've been around any kids ever in your life, kids actually need and like boundaries. Having boundaries, communicating boundaries to children is a way of showing them that you love and care about them. They want that routine. They want those limits. So when there are none, what they learn is, what they internalize is, no one cares. And so I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want, whatever I think will get me attention, so that they will just pay attention to me. This happens a lot in the case where some kind of neglect is happening. The child learns that I have to just let go completely because to hold on here and to like to be present in this is so excruciating. I'm just going to act out until someone fucking pays attention to me. So let's quote our boy Bradshaw again. 
He says, healthy willpower is the goal of this stage, toddlerhood. It allows us to develop the power of doing. We cannot do things well without discipline, a balance between holding on and letting go. Someone once said that of all freedom, discipline is the most mysterious. We need discipline to be free. I absolutely love this conceptualization of discipline as a pathway to freedom. For me, and I don't know if you agree, the word discipline has a bit of a negative connotation. It's linked to me with doing things you don't want to do. That's what discipline brings up for me immediately. But I do agree with what Bradshaw says. Discipline is the path to freedom. Discipline is just the act of doing things that you have to do. When we have discipline, we can find the balance of holding on and letting go more easily. But one thing I will add is that we have to first trust ourselves. Back to the example of social anxiety and attempting to control social situations. I could look at that and say, I don't trust myself to be liked. Therefore, I have to hold on really tightly. Underneath that, what I'm saying is I don't think I'm likable. Like I don't trust that they will like me as I am. And so I have to hold on to the situation more tightly. So there's that connection between trust and wherever you're at on the spectrum. What I have to do is heal the toxic shame about my likability, which involves trusting myself to be who I am. That trust is a key part of the healing. Then it's a matter of discipline. That is having the power, the stamina, the courage to do things over and over again that reinforce what you want. So in that example, it's stopping myself from playing out all the potential scenarios a social situation could bring up. And this did happen recently. I had to go to an event that I was really nervous about. The wheels were turning in my head of how am I going to navigate this? What am I going to say? And look, this is a lifetime of unlearning. So of course I did what I always did and I played out potential scenarios. But then the trust and the discipline came into play. I recognized what I was doing and I was able to recognize it because I have done this work already, right? Okay, I'm role-playing in my head. I trust that I am enough. And so I'm going to call on my powers of discipline right now to stop doing this in my head, to stop playing these mental gymnastics of how I can be liked and accepted and like and accept myself. That takes discipline. It takes discipline to stop doing what feels natural even though it's not helpful, right? So it takes discipline to, in my case, let go of control of how other people perceive me. And when I do that, what I find is I can relax. I'm not so fucking anxious all the time. And I'm in that nice sweet spot between holding on and letting go. Now, I would love to tell you that you can just get to this static, happy medium and live happily ever after, but I think you already know that's not how this works. It takes constant awareness trust, discipline, effort, reflection. And that doesn't mean it has to be a chore. It just means that you have this awareness of yourself. And when you notice yourself falling into your old patterns, you return to that place of trust. And then whatever that discipline looks like for you, you enact it. This concept came up again for me recently because Venus is retrograde. And so I've been thinking a lot about balance because Venus rules Libra and Libra is, of course, about balance. 
So this does feel like a very Venusian concept in and of itself, holding on and letting go. But another thing that came up for me is the changing of the nodes into Libra and Aries. So the North Node is conceptualized oftentimes as this hungry mouth, this insatiable appetite that wants more, more, more. And the South Node, on the other hand, as this purging dissociation, dismemberment. So we could take the nodes and relate them on this spectrum as well, where the North Node might be holding on and the South Node might be letting go. In your natal chart, you could look at the nodes and see where do you naturally hold on and let go. And what's fascinating for me anyway, is that my North Node is conjunct Mercury. If there were ever a single placement that could indicate anxiety, I think it would be that. <laughs> and especially an overworking mind. My South Node is in Virgo in the 12th house. So that tells me that the ways I let go are often also ways that may self-sabotage me. And that has totally been true. Another astrological way in to consider this spectrum of holding on and letting go in your natal chart, you can look at your Jupiter and Mercury placements. So where they're at in the chart, the dignity of Mercury and Jupiter in your chart, who's in charge. So who's the dispositor or the ruling planet of Mercury and Jupiter? And then what aspects are they making to each other? Can they see each other by aspect? Now, this is very experimental, but it's something I did with my own chart and I found it very insightful. It could be because I have a unique situation with Mercury and Jupiter, but I'll share a little bit and then I'll encourage you to do your own research and report back to me because I think that this could be a really cool way to understand where you're at on the holding on and letting go spectrum. So for me, I have Mercury in Pisces, conjunct the North Node, and I have Jupiter in Gemini, conjunct my natal Mars. Mercury will show us where we hold on and Jupiter will show us where we can let go, specifically letting go in trust and faith. However, my specific placements helped me see the more negative sides of my holding on and letting go. So for example, Mercury conjunct the North Node. I have these intrusive thoughts that show up as graphic disturbing images sometimes that might sound really weird but it's just anxiety and that's how it shows up for me so some people have ruminating loops and thoughts I have that but it shows up as images that I can't get out of my mind sometimes and I definitely equate that to a Mercury and Pisces conjunct the North Node these never-ending thoughts that make me want to control and hold on really tightly because I'm worried that something bad is going to happen on the other hand, my Jupiter in Gemini is in detriment and it's conjunct Mars. So at its worst, this placement is having me let go because it believes that nothing matters. It's a very pessimistic Jupiter or it can be. But of course, the placements are multidimensional. They never mean just one thing. So one strength of my Mercury in Pisces conjunct the North Node is I have so many ideas, so many ideas. And because of other parts of my chart, I have the discipline to pursue them. Now, sometimes it gets real scattered. <laughs> it's not very organized. But the point I want to make is that the placements never mean one thing. And that if you look at your Mercury and your Jupiter placement, you can get some really cool insight. I think the best case scenario is Jupiter 
allows us to let go by restoring our faith and trust. And that can be true no matter how banged up your Jupiter is. Okay, so again, for me, Jupiter in detriment, conjunct Mars, not a good look for Jupiter. But at the same time, what that allows me to do is because it's in my ninth house, I'm very interested in pursuing knowledge. What that's allowing me to do is learn forever about the world and how it works and why we're here and what it all means. And I give Jupiter credit for that, for that interest and intrigue in what does this all mean, right? So I encourage you to do that exploration for yourself. And there's so much more we could get into. Like we didn't even talk about aspects that Jupiter and Mercury make in your chart. That's a whole other way you could look at this spectrum. For example, mine square. So there's friction and tension there that's meant to facilitate growth. So go look at your chart, see what's going on with Jupiter and Mercury, how they're interacting with each other, and let me know. If you have questions about it, absolutely let me know. If you have a really cool realization, I would love to hear it. Find me on Instagram, find me on threads. Oh my God, you guys, I've been loving threads. I never got on Twitter, I just couldn't do it. It was too much, it was too toxic. Threads is really fun, hopefully it stays that way, but Regardless, find me, shoot me a DM. You can email me too if you're not on socials, Dana at selfhelpwitch.com. Comment on this video if you're watching on YouTube. I would love to hear your thoughts about this talk, book bites and insights, as well as what you realize about yourself in the spectrum through your natal chart reflection. So that's the episode. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, like the channel. I love you, keep going. Mwah. See you next time.